Welcome to the Three Martini Lunch. Grab a stool next to Greg Corumbus of Radio America and Jim Garrity of National Review. Three Martinis coming up. We have made it to Friday once again. Congratulations. Your stool is ready for you. We have good, bad, and crazy martinis for conservatives today. But Jim, we just had a moment before we started recording today that I think it's worth sharing with our listeners today. And that's that, you know, each day we print out our stories. We print out the ads that we're going to do as part of the podcast. And as you went through your printer options today, you noticed something that I noticed too earlier in the week, and we're not really sure why it's there. What did you discover? Yeah, for for the longest time, my printer program would give me the option of, do you want to print the entire document or a custom range? And because a lot of the ads we get are a little more than one page, and I don't want to waste paper, I just, you know, uh, cut off that last line print out the first page. But somewhere along the line, the, the little machines that run the updates and all the people who decided, they decided this menu was not enough. We needed more options. We needed better options. So now I can print all the pages in a particular document. I can print the even numbered pages in a particular document. I can print the odd numbered pages in a particular document. Or I can set a custom range, which is what I have to go to to say, just print out the first page. Now, Greg, what I'm trying to figure out here is who are the people who need only the even-numbered pages or the odd-numbered pages of a particular document? <laughs> who, who's out there saying, look, uh, the sales report is really important, but I just want pages one, three, five, and seven. Uh, nobody needs two, four, and six. I, I guess maybe if it's like you, you're empty on a blank page. I, actually, I, I don't know. I'm trying to. Clearly, it's common enough that they felt the need to run an update to add this to the menu. But I'm trying. To, I cannot get my head around what circumstances you have a big document but I only need the odd-numbered pages or the even-numbered pages. It's kind of like cable news. You only need the left side or the right side. You don't need both. You don't need uh, all opinions coming in. So just the odds or just the evens. So uh, the lunacy continues. All right, let's get to our good martini now. And uh, the Biden administration looks like they're on the verge, Jim, of yanking another nominee. This time it's David Chipman, the president's choice to be head of the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, Firearms, and Explosives. I always forget about the explosives part. It's because, you know, ATF, right? Uh, So anyway, it looks like he's probably not going to get to 50. This is CNN. Uh, President Biden's pick of David Chipman to head the ATF, E, is nearing collapse with members of the Senate Democratic Caucus withholding support and the chamber unlikely to hold a vote to advance the nomination before the August recess. Uh, Publicly, the White House and Senate Democratic leaders are not giving up on the nomination, but privately, the assessment is far grimmer. Should that be more grim? Anyway, at best, it appears uh, Chipman's nomination may be forced to be punted past the August recess, which makes the prospects for his confirmation even less likely. Never over until it's over, but it certainly looks uphill, a senior administration official told CNN. And so the holdout Democrats here are Joe Manchin, John Tester, and uh, Angus King. He was technically an independent, but votes with the Democrats. And the issue here... Uh, to a lot of folks, especially on the right, Jim, is the fact that he's been a hardcore anti-gun, gun control activist. Uh, and so he's uh, absolutely the wrong choice for this role. But uh, what do you make of uh, even a few Democrats saying, I don't think this is the right guy? Well, I think this kind of illustrates a, a hard lesson for the Democrats. And maybe at some point in the future, there'll be an equivalent hard lesson for the Republicans. You can elect a Democrat in a red state. 
You can elect a Republican in a blue state, but sooner or later, those folks are going to reflect their constituencies and they're not going to go along with the party the way you want. And let's face it, there are a whole bunch of issues. Angus King does not show up in this podcast very often as one of our, our favorite uh, Democrats and, okay, sorry, independents. You see me making air quotes <laughs> as, I, as I say that. Um, you know, that by you know, not a large percentage of the time, I don't have it directly in front of me, Angus King is voting with, with the Democratic Party. But guns might be one of those issues where up in Maine, he just does not want to run afoul of them. And whether you want to credit to the NRA, which admittedly is a shadow of its former self, or just generally gun owners across the country, knowing David Chipman um, is not just a run-of-the-mill law enforcement guy, not just a guy who maybe supports gun control more than they do, that he's really a diehard activist. That he really, And the other thing is that there's been kind of this like, I don't want to say, con- yeah, so, okay, certain gun owners would say he has treated them contemptuously during this process. Uh, whether or not you think that's fair, I think it's safe to say, like, you know, we've, we've discussed this throughout all the confirmation process. The correct answer to every question is, Senator, that is a really valid concern, and I look forward to working with you on it, right? I think, you know, every <laughs> single one of those questions, even if you, you at, at minimum, you give the courteous, generic, I don't have that information in front of me at this time, but I look forward to giving you the best answer I can as soon as possible, you know, like, and it sounds like Chipman, you know, obviously he's not won over any of the Republicans. That's not surprising. But then even the Angus Kings of the world are not comfortable with this guy at this point. Is this going to, you know, guaranteed to sink the nomination? No, I don't know. But I think like one of the observations is that you can't, you, even if you elect a Democrat from a state that's got a lot of gun owners, that Democrat is either going to have a very short career or he's going to start hedging on gun owners, on, on gun issues. And this is a case where gun owners have made the nomination of David Chipman a very big deal in their community. And this is the sort of thing that people will remember come November. And to be our nomination fights, generally they're, they're pretty small. You know, they're happening early in an administration. Nobody's going to remember them by the midterms. But trust me, a lot of gun owners are going to remember this. And the other thing, which I think is a good, interesting illustration of this, um, I should give a shout out to... Stephen Gutowski, who now runs a site called The Reload. I think Stephen Gutowski might be the single best reporter out there uh, on gun issues. My buddy Cam does a super duper terrific job. Uh, Tim Mack does a nice job. They're, they're good guys out there, but I don't think anybody covers this backwards and forwards the way Stephen Gutowski does in the detail he has. And he's pointed out there are some allegations of, Ch- of Chipman using uh, racially incendiary language, so we say. Now, maybe it's true, maybe it's not. But I think it's safe to say that in any other circumstances, you'd be like, well, okay, we got to get to the bottom of this. We don't want to be seen as voting for a guy who'd used inappropriate language or, or something like that. Maybe it's nothing, but at minimum, you'd want to look into this. And apparently he's been completely non-responsive to any inquiries about this, which is, again, not really reassuring. Um, and I think this is a circumstance where, like, there are, you know, if you have a nomination in trouble, there are ways you can get yourself out of trouble. And David Shipman and the Biden administration are largely not doing that. And when you don't do those steps, then you're more likely to have a, temp- a nomination go down in flames. Yes. And they uh, say the prospects aren't good uh, if it has to wait till after the recess. My guess is they've kind of let this leak so Chipman could maybe take himself out of consideration. I don't know. Haven't you been wanting to spend more time with your family? (laughs) David, are you feeling okay? Why don't you get yourself checked for COVID, you know? (laughs) 
Oh, man. Well, I mean, with Biden's nonsensical comments on guns, we're never going to get a nominee for that position that we like uh, in terms of people who love the Second Amendment. But you could probably come up with someone who's more plausibly defensible uh, for the Democratic caucus. So we'll we'll see on that. Jim, I'm never going to be president. I'm never going to run for president. But I'm tempted to, you know, maybe throw my hat in the ring just so I can nominate you for something, whether it's the Office of Invasive Species or something higher than that, and have you go through the confirmation process because I just want to have you pivot from from left side to right side for each of those questions and give all those non-answers for hours on end. It's going to be fascinating. Was, I think in a previous episode at some point, I'd said deep down, I'd really want to go with like, you know, uh, Mr. Garrity, isn't it a deep concern? And aren't you troubled by the fact that so many of these we debatement programs have been drastically underfunded for years? Sure. <laughs> Whatever you say, Senator, if that's, yeah, that, that's exactly what I was thinking. Mr. Garrity, are you checking your phone while we ask questions? No, no, I'm totally not. I just got a text. That's all. (laughs) The Jets did what? Oh, I'm sorry. What was your question? Yes, there you go. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man, that would be fun. If I did nominate you for Office of Invasive Species, it would probably just to close it down. But uh, anyway, it would still be a fun confirmation process. But uh, anyway, that would be fun. You know, it's also fun. Cooking and cooking well, and especially if you've got the right tools to do it. You know, if you've ever wondered how your favorite restaurant consistently makes such delicious food, the short answer is they have access to all the great kitchen tools. And with Made In's professional quality cookware and kitchenware, anyone's capable of making restaurant quality food right at home. Made In produces professional quality cookware and knives for those who love to cook. They source the finest materials and partner with renowned craftsmen to make premium kitchen tools available directly to you without the markup. Made-in products are made to last and they offer a lifetime guarantee. Their cookware distributes heat evenly and can easily go from the stove top to the oven. And their knives are carefully and fully forged, perfectly balanced, and they stay sharp. They have 32,000 five-star reviews, actually more than that. And their products are used by some of the world's best chefs at Michelin-starred restaurants all around the world. Made-in is better cookware for better meals. Yeah, I was able to get the stainless steel pan from Made In. And you know, they talk about how stainless steel is uh, better uh, heat, more even heat. I'm like, really? Can you really tell the difference? I actually can tell the difference. It's amazing. And so uh, very happy with the pan. And right now, Made In is offering our listeners 15% off your first order with promo code Martini. This is the best discount available anywhere online for made-in products. So don't miss it. Go to madeincookware.com slash martini and use the promo code martini for 15% off your first order. That's madeincookware.com slash martini and use the promo code martini. All right, Jim, let's move to our bad martini now. And once again, the government is trying to tinker with the economy, trying to uh, change standards and such to make us make different purchasing decisions. This is all part of the climate agenda, and Reuters has the story from what Biden was doing yesterday in the South Lawn. President Biden took a step toward his goal of slashing greenhouse gas emissions on Thursday with an executive order aimed at making half of all new vehicles sold in 2030 electric a move made with backing from the biggest U.S. automakers. The administration also proposed new vehicle emission standards that would cut pollution through 2026, starting with a 10% stringency increase in the 2023 model year. The actions are all part of Biden's broader climate plan. And so uh, apparently it's critical that they pass the infrastructure bill to uh, get the research uh, and funding for all that 
done here. Uh, Jim, obviously the 2030 goal is not hard and fast. There's nothing binding about it. But the fact that they're constantly changing fuel standards, which means you have to make cars and trucks lighter to achieve those fuel standards, which is a safety issue. But basically, they're trying to force people to buy electric vehicles. And so far, the track record on electric vehicles has been really lousy. And so um, people just may not want to buy them. If they're such a great product, put them out there, let people decide if they want them and let the market decide. But uh, apparently we can't do that. Yeah. And if you're, by the way, I've you know, thought about purchasing a new car. I've looked at it. I even looked at the uh, the electricity one, the electric models. And so people go, oh, you know, who could afford those things are really expensive. Well, I got some good news and I have some bad news. The good news is they do have some somewhat less expensive electric vehicles. Uh, the 2020 Mini Cooper SE Signature has a manufacturer's suggested retail price of $30,000, which is more than a whole bunch of other ones. But you'd be like, OK, that's pretty good, uh, completely you know, compared to Teslas and things like that. The problem is apparently it's not that great a vehicle. Uh, Motor Trend did the review and they said, look, it's a tiny two-door, just 110 miles of range. Make sure you check that before you forget a, a big uh, you know, road trip across the country or to visit Aunt Edna or something. It says it has a rough ride, excessive wind and road noise, and the fast charging ability isn't that fast, taking 40 minutes to restore 80% of its range on a DC fast charge. Meaning don't play out. Like if you're only going to tool around a city and you never need to drive any further, then maybe that makes sense for you. But again, you're still paying $30,000. Let's say you're like, okay, I don't want the cheapest one, but give me something a little bit, you know, a little nicer. All right. So the 2021 Chevy Volt, um, you know, it's, it's better, but that's $37,000 manufacturer's recommended retail price. You know, so again, that's inevitably the people who are buying electric vehicles are those who are on the wealthier side of the car buying market. If they want to do it, fine. You and I are very pro-freedom on, on all that sense. Greg, now this market has been somewhat skewed by the fact that for you know quite a few years now, the federal government has said that if you buy an electric vehicle, we will give you a $7,500 tax credit. That's not just a deduction of what you're paying. That's like money back to you, right? Now, obviously, people who are making you know 200 grand a year or more, the kind of people who are buying these Teslas, look, their tax bill is much bigger than $7,500, but they, they like that, right? Now, if you're buying a non-electric vehicle, the government gives you nothing. So what you end up having is people who pay, who make less and who pay in taxes are effectively paying for this rebate that is given to people who are wealthy enough to buy the Teslas and, and all that kind of stuff. And look, if you want to buy a Tesla, that's fine. I just don't want to have to you know, metaphorically be paying for any part of it by giving it you know, the form of this tax credit. And that's what we have here. Now, it's worth noting the Tesla one ran out because they basically covered it on the first, I want to say 200,000 of all electric vehicles that any company sold. General Matters hit, General Motors hit that threshold, Tesla hit that threshold, um, and Mary Barra of GM and a whole bunch of others want to make that tax credit uh, permanent. But all in all, like this is one of those things, like if you want to buy an electric vehicle, go right ahead. If you don't want to buy an electric vehicle, go right ahead. Don't make one group of taxpayers pay for it another because you've decided that much because you inevitably end up giving tax credits to some of the wealthiest Americans. Yeah, no, that's exactly right. It's uh, it's playing favorites again. And speaking of playing favorites, you mentioned Tesla a lot in there. Tesla, Elon Musk, not invited to the White House yesterday. Uh, Jen Psaki was asked, according to the Reuters story, whether Musk was not invited because Tesla is not a union shop. And her response was, I'll let you draw your own conclusion. So, uh, I mean, this is uh, clearly... 
the government trying to pick winners and losers here, and it never works out well. If you have a better product, people will recognize that, especially if it's at a competitive price. You shouldn't be forcing people into this area. And in the meantime, you're going to have less safe vehicles on the road because they're trying to meet these uh, emission standards. And that means they have to be lighter, which means they're less protected. So thanks a lot, government. Great. The only thing I'm going to observe is that, you know, first of all, if you're, if you're going to do an event with electric vehicles, yeah, you probably should invite Elon Musk, even if you have disagreements about his workforce being unionized or something like that. But the other thing is, Greg, considering Elon Musk's, you know, Twitter feed and stuff like that, I guess I can imagine the Biden administration being concerned about him going off message at the event. I'm not saying you got to put him at the podium, but it is a little bit uh, weird that you... Let me tell you about those divers in the Philippines or wherever that was or something like that. <laughs> Uh, I just don't want to have to plug anything in. And I know there's ways to do electric cars where you don't have to plug it in, but it just seems like a huge hassle. And we talked about the range. And I plug my car into a gas pump. It takes five minutes to fill up. But uh, anyway, we'll see. All right, let's talk about something happier than that. And that's the great deal you can get on products from My Pillow right now. That includes the pillows. It includes the sheets. It also includes the My Pillow towel set. Nothing beats the feel of a luxurious towel when you step out of the shower. And the My Pillow towels are just of a higher quality. Uh, they're big. They're soft. They're fluffy. They get you dry real fast. And right now, they're on sale big league. You can get the six-piece towel set regularly going for $109.99. Well, now you can get it for just $39.99. Now, each one of these six-piece towel sets gives you two bath towels, two hand towels, and a washcloth two-pack. They're made from proprietary technology that makes them highly absorbent, soft to the touch, and none of that lotion-y feel. They're made from cotton grown right here in the United States of America. They are available in a variety of colors and sizes. They're machine washable, and they have a 60-day money-back guarantee and a one-year limited warranty. So visit MyPillow.com, use the promo code MARTINI at checkout, or when you call 800-874-0104. The MyPillow six-piece towel set for only $39.99. And while you're there, take advantage of the deep discounts on all MyPillow products, including the Giza Dream bed sheets and the MyPillow premium pillows. MyPillow.com, or call 800-874-0104, promo code MARTINI. All right, Jim, on to our crazy martini now. And it's going to sound a little bit like yesterday's uh, crazy martini in part. Yesterday we talked about Cori Bush and her needing security, but we got to defund the police. But we also mentioned how the squad, after succeeding and convincing Joe Biden through the CDC to reinstate the eviction moratorium, also wants to extend the moratorium on people having to pay their student loans. Well, they're not done there. Rashida Tlaib, squad member, of course, from... Michigan has decided that she wants legislation that would let people who fail to pay their water, electricity, or broadband bills off the hook from Fox News. Uh, first of all, quoting her tweet, cancel water, electricity, and broadband debt, she tweeted Wednesday morning. Hashtag stop the shutoffs. She changed her messaging Thursday afternoon, calling for a bailout instead of outright cancellation. Quote, no one should live without water and critical services. She tweeted Thursday, Congress bailed out the banks in 2008 when it was their own wrongdoing. There should be no hesitation in bailing out people who, due to no fault of their own, are experiencing the impacts of a pandemic. So, Jim, we've got the uh, very generous unemployment benefits still going on. We've got the eviction moratorium. We got the push for the student loan moratorium. Now we're not paying utility bills if Talib gets her way. So with these people, it's a never-ending story. Like you said, Jim, they just want everything to be quote-unquote free, which of course means it's definitely not. Indeed. And Greg, when you and I were, were you know, kicking around ideas for today's podcast, um, 
we've contemplated a good martini of today's jobs report. Super numbers in July. Wage growth was great, but more than 900,000 jobs in a month. And that comes on top of uh, 800-some last month. So it shows last month was not a fluke. After a long stretch, the economy is rebounding. And we don't want to be the kind of, you know, we're not the kind of podcast that we're going to talk about, you know, lousy job reports for Biden. But when the uh, the news is good, we're just not going to talk about it because we don't want people knowing the economy is doing well. Hey, the economy is doing well. You know what? Good for you, Joe Biden. <clears throat> oh, by the way, I can't help but notice that certain states' unemployment benefits have uh, expired. So maybe this is reflecting some people getting off the sidelines and getting back into the uh, workforce. But all right, fine. Maybe, you know. It is a good indicator in an administration that could use some good news right now. Okay, fine, great. Um, I do think, though, that if we're now creating 800,000 to 900,000 jobs a month and wage growth, wages are going up and stuff, are we really, we're certainly not in recession anymore. In fact, this is one of the shortest recessions of all time. Uh, the economy has started creating jobs like after two months uh, or two or three months back the you know absolute worst point of the pandemic. Um but, you know, by and large, okay, if people are hiring great, why do we still need economic uh, aid programs that kicked in in March and April and May of 2020? It's a different economy now. It's a different environment. It's okay to expect people to start paying their rent. It is unreasonable to expect people to keep constantly having taxpayer money shoveled in their direction because the circumstances that made it acceptable at one, you know, at one point are not What's going on now? What's going on now is an economy that appears to be thriving in a lot of ways. So it's reasonable to expect people, okay, we expect you to go out and get a job and you have to pay your own rent and you have to pay your own heating bills. The American taxpayer is not Uncle Sugar who will be around and take care of all of your expenses. And it's kind of ridiculous to see the squad right after getting this and this, you know, you know, I'm going to say constitutionally dubious, but I really should be saying just constitutionally invalid extension of the eviction moratorium. But on top of that, they're now saying they're not, they're not satisfied. You know, give them an inch, they'll take a mile. Now they want to say, okay, it's time to get taxpayers to cover people's, um, uh, you know, uh, heating and, and energy costs. You know, what would actually be help with that, Greg's, if we made energy less expensive. <laughs> that would be good. That has not happened over the past six and a half months, and there's a reason for that too. But uh, yeah, we're happy to see the job numbers. But, uh, boy, you said it when you said, uh, give them an inch, they'll try to take a mile. I mean, there's nothing, it appears, that they don't want the government, uh, meaning taxpayers, obviously, uh, to cover here. It's like they want you to just sit around at your house forever, and they'll cover everything. I'm not sure what kind of a life that is, but that apparently is what they want. Anyway, happy Friday, Jim. I was going to say, you know, <laughs> we, we needed Friday today. This is, yeah. Wasn't August supposed to be a slow news month? Used to be. You know, they talked about the August recess. Why are they still here? Go. It's like Ferris Bueller, it is, like, It just means they go from saying stupid things in Washington, <laughs> saying stupid things all across the country. We spread it out. Oh, anyway, hope they're out of town soon. Hopefully this weekend, I think. But uh, we'll see. Jim, have a good weekend. See you Monday. See you Monday, Greg. Jim Garrity, National Review. I'm Greg Corumbus, Radio America. Thanks for being with us today. Please subscribe to the Three Martini Lunch podcast if you don't already. Tell your friends about us as well. Very grateful for your five-star ratings and your kind reviews. Get us on those home devices. All you have to say is play Three Martini Lunch podcast. Follow us on Twitter. He's at Jim Garrity. I'm at Dateline underscore DC. Have a great Friday and have a great weekend. And we'll see you Monday on the Three Martini Lunch. You know the headlines from the border, but this crisis shows why we have to fight to save all that's great about America. I'm Sarah Carter. On the latest Sarah Carter Show, I'll discuss why I love America so much, why it's far more fragile than we realize, and how we can make it stronger than ever. I hope you'll join me. Subscribe to The Sarah Carter Show at Apple, Spotify, 
or wherever you get your podcasts.